All right, so before we continue our study in church history, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, again, as we come and study the history of your church, we pray that you would help us to learn from its history, particularly today as we study some of the ancient heresies. Help us to understand that uh, they are ancient in their beginnings, but they are still very present with us. Show us how to combat them and to keep them not only from your church, from our own lives um, and our families. So we pray that you would guide us through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we use the word heresy a lot. Um, some circles use it more than others. It's oftentimes used, I think, um, inappropriately. And so let's talk about the word heresy before we start looking at the heresies of the early church. What does the word heresy mean? Here's some different definitions. Good teaching that goes against uh, orthodoxy and what's commonly accepted. Good. That word may need to be defined too. Yeah, well, we will. But that's a good definition. Something that goes against orthodox. Good. Contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. Contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. Good. I think clear teaching of Scripture is a good point there. There are some things that we divide over that are less clear that we wouldn't call heretical. But the things that are clear, when people deviate from those things, we do tend to label as heresy. And not all heresies are made alike either. And I think that's important to understand. Um, do you usually have a foundation in Scripture too. Yeah. Like there's, some, there's something in the Scripture that's being misunderstood in a heretical way. Or it's really teaching it that no, you don't. The Trinity isn't like this. God's nature is like this. That has a semblance of truth. Good, and that's a good point. Not, I mean, a lot of heresy is from well-meaning people who look at the scriptures in a different way, but interpret them the way that history has not. And I think that's a good point too. That. Uh, you know, history teaches a certain way. If we find something new, that usually we're we're on the wrong path. I would say most always we're on the wrong path. We use that word orthodox. It literally means right worship or correct worship. And uh, again, some heresies are those that remove us from fellowship. You know, if uh, if I say uh, I have recently learned from Scripture that Jesus is not God, then I would need to be removed from the office and exercised from the church or excised from the church um, whereas if I say you know I don't want to name anything in particular but you know there's other things that we would call heresy in our church that another church would say no that's fine uh, and that's not going to eliminate us from the faith and I think that's important to understand there are differences there and so today as we look at these heresies um, from the early church, I think we're going to be looking at ones that would, the church would have separated themselves from these groups of people. And so I want to make sure we, we understand the difference between what we're looking at today and say, you know, another type of thing. There are some that would say that, you know, Presbyterians are heretical for infant baptism, for instance. Well, we don't think that about ourselves, obviously. We don't think that they're heretical for not doing that. So we, I wouldn't say that's heresy. So what we're looking at today actually divides us from, from others. And I think it's important for us to understand, our heresy is still found in the church today. Absolutely. Um, 
and these heresies that are found in the church today, and the point that I want to make sure we bring out plainly today is that the things that were found in the church 2,000 years ago are still found today in basically the same forms. They're just called something else. And so it's good for us to learn from our missteps along the way. Again, there's nothing new in Scripture. Uh, So what we do is um, we use the church, the way the church has interpreted things in the past as study, as helpful tools for us to look at what we should know today. Uh, Any questions before we move on? Any thoughts before we start looking at some particular heresies in the church? All right, so the first one I want to look at is called, uh, well, the people that worshipped it were called the Judaizers. And this is something that Paul often wrote against. Uh, Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, and then we'll go to chapter 5 after that. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So let me, let me describe the heresy real quick. Uh, Judaizers, believe, Judaizers believe that one must be circumcised. That was their basic foundational belief. There were other things going on. But a person had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, let's look at verses 6 and 7 of of Galatians chapter 1. Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so Christ saw, or Paul saw, this Judaizing type gospel as a distortion of the true gospel as a different gospel. All right? They were preaching this idea that you needed to basically earn your salvation. And obviously that's not the truth. And what's interesting as you read on throughout this book, there's even a section there in chapter 2 where Paul has to set Peter straight because Peter starts to kind of stray away from the true faith. Not in the sense of what he's teaching, but just how he was acting. He was, he was not um, acting, he was not uh, communing with the people who were uncircumcised, and so Paul actually called him out publicly and dealt with him. That would have been a, uh, if you were in the early church and you had to see these two apostles going at it, that would have been an interesting thing, but it shows the apostles weren't above error too. Yeah, go ahead. So, one way to understand, I'm just going to change the definition a little bit of the Judaizing heresy. That's fine. Circumcision was just a part of it, but it was a Jewish Christian is saying, oh, that's great that you Gentiles are coming to Jesus. To become a Christian, you have to become a Jew. Right. Exactly. And, have, and so do not touch, do not taste, do not handle calendars, dates, genealogies, all that stuff right. will be significant for you. And so now you're kind of second-class citizens because we already know all about that part. And Peter then says, yeah, I'm going to sit with the ones who are clean. Right. So, yeah, it's a good point. Um, again, it was, a, it was a recognition that circumcision among all of the Jewish traditions were to be held up in the church, that the Gentiles, if they wanted to be members of the church, also needed to hold up these Jewish traditions 
Well, that Christ essentially came to remove, that he came to fulfill. This goes back to what we discussed. There's a semblance of the truth to it. Right. I mean, they were literally just asking him to go back under the Old Testament ceremonial law. Right. I mean, they weren't saying, look at this new thing. They were saying, just if you want to be a Christian, come right back here under the law that God gave to the Jewish people and follow it. Good. And then you'll be like us. Good. And... And look at chapter 5 with me. What does Paul say about that then? I mean, he tells them as it is. If, if you're going to follow this, if you, if you must follow this little bit of the law to be a Christian, well, this, this is what he says. He says, chapter, or chapter 5, starting at verse 1, for, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, or you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, have you have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit or for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so what is he essentially saying to us? If you, if you accept circumcision, meaning, not saying circumcision is bad, but if you think this is the way to salvation, then good luck, you have to follow the whole law, and guess what? That's still not going to do it for you. And he's saying, you are cut off. He's using a uh, figure of speech here. Uh, to talk about what it is, what circumcision is. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And so the question for us then, how does this take shape today? What what form is this in today? Todd, go ahead. To me, it took the shape of baptism. Not only being baptized, but being baptized for a specific purpose. Uh, so baptism <coughs> Good. And baptism is not a bad thing. And I think that's important to, 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 to note here. Circumcision wasn't a bad thing. Um, the law of God is not, not a bad thing. But if we attempt to then use it as our way of salvation, it becomes, well, what did, what did Paul say? He says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The law becomes a yoke of slavery that we are unable to free ourselves from if we attempt to be saved by it. And I think... I think that's a good point that you bring up about baptism. Anything that we that we would be saved by other than the righteousness of Christ becomes a yoke of slavery. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, any other religion, actually. I mean, from, from Buddhism to Islam to, to Catholicism, it's all over our space, ultimately. Right. It's a vast chasm between us and, and, and God, and you have to just destroy yourself trying to hold it in your life. Christianity is very unique good that's good the other world religions are heretical in that fact that they are uh, asking us to earn our way to God and that he d- demands the same from us whereas the Christian God knows that we're incapable of that and came to us instead and so that, that sets us apart good
Anything else there on the Judaizing heresy? Um, How about the fact that um, the church wasn't totally sure? You want to talk about Acts 15 for just a minute? Yeah. So there's a discussion there of this is kind of getting around that you, you, you need to be coming back under the yoke. And especially the Gentiles who didn't know about it. Hey, we're glad that you're coming, but here's what has to happen now. Um, there was a controversy. Peter kind of got swept up in it. Yep. And, and so where this kind of goes back to your sermon today, where did we get an answer for that? Like it wasn't clear. It wasn't black and white. There were good people, like you said, that were saying, yeah, that sounds right. You know, probably they should become that. So where did that get resolved? Well, the church came together and they defined the gospel. They came together and said, this is what the gospel is. This is, this is what we believe. This, this belief that circumcision saves or that any work saves is not what the scriptures teach. And again, the scriptures being for them the Old Testament. And so that, that God saves apart from that, that the church came together to figure that out. And they came, if you, if you want to read it, Acts 15, it, it really ties into what you were saying today, that there's the strength mm-hmm. of coming together. And that's a very, you know, I didn't grow up Presbyterian. I didn't even know what it meant. And it's just elder-led. There's a representative feature to that. Southern Baptist Church is Presbyterian too. They get together, they call it a convention. Right. And they get together and they discuss, hey, you know, what's going on in our churches? And they talk about that for a reason. Because they're like, wait a minute, there's people teaching something crazy over here. We've got to stop it. And so in Acts 15, it was really interesting. When they all got together, they were like, of course this, is, this can't happen. As long as these people, you know, don't go to the idols that they've done before, they're fine. They don't need to be circumcised. Send out the letter. Send out the call. Let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Because when they were together, this made perfect sense. You know, the gospel kind of rose to the top. Like, what were we thinking? You know, of course mm-hmm. this is the answer. But it, it was a scandal. That's good. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the early church councils too. Not today. We'll spend another time on that because it's that's when the church came together and said, "This is what's right. This is what isn't right." And and all these all these heresies basically were were dealt with one way or another in some sort of coming together. And this Judaizing heresy was dealt with there in Acts 15. We have that in Scripture. Um, what we would call the first meeting of Presbytery among the early church. So. Uh, that's where we draw our doctrine from for our government, is from that passage. I think it was, you know, the words that you used there, uh, right after what you read, you know, I wish they would yeah. cut themselves off and right. cut themselves and not think about putting that into our terms now. I wish they'd drown themselves in the baptistry. Yeah, and that's strong words, but, I mean, that's the, that'd be the equivalent of that. You'd never think that, but thinking that that saves you is the equivalent of drowning yourselves in the water. You know that which you think saves you is actually causing you harm. Remember how easy it was though to believe that when you're surrounded by other people that all tell themselves baptism, the water of baptism saves you, sort of, and then you have to earn it or keep it earned, right? But see how simple that was when everybody's around talking to each other, smiling about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And those other people that think that you just get it for free down there at the Baptist Church, they're crazy. Because you didn't really wrestle with it. And then when you get, like for you, you get tripped up by some friends who, who don't believe that at all. And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about other people that you came into contact with. And you're like, they have way more than I do. What in the world? That's a that's a good testimony about how you want to you can be like shuffled into the room like you said you know and the pastor tells do this to be saved you know a whole group of you are like and you don't even know. And I don't really think anybody else in that group did. Right. I mean. I think one we were probably not. We're all kids are just different, and I know kids come to it at a different age. Mm-hmm. All of them do. Right. Both mine did. Stephanie came to it much later than Jared did, mm-hmm. and it. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, I didn't have parents that were feeding me uh, gospel and doing like Steph and Todd do with their kids, weren't teaching me the word, weren't living out the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't grow up in, a, in what I would classify as a Christian home. I mean, yes, we went to church, but it was a duty. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to learn about God. It wasn't. I got glimpses of it, and I understood some of it, but it wasn't wasn't anything talked to me by my parents. That's good. Really good testimony mm-hmm. both of their lives about friends, yeah. too, that well, came in contact with you and kind of were, were, were not part of that same faith that you were growing up, but who nonetheless invested in your life. Well, and two, um, 
it, what really is funny to me is that the second guy who baptized me was a Church of Christ preacher who was actually going to a mission church in Juneau, Alaska and moving in. It was his last Sunday. We had gone there to, to see them off, basically. We had a party that weekend and everything, but it had really been on my heart that, you know, I had not been baptized on the right side of my salvation. And so I asked John to do it. And uh, I told him, I said, I want it done when nobody's around. I didn't want the church to be there because I knew what other members of the church were going to think, mm-hmm. that I was being baptized into the church. Uh, and that's not what I wanted. So John made it very clear. Unfortunately, the baptistry didn't get filled up before the evening service. So it ended up being in front of the church, which I think was God ordained, because John just told them, and wants to be baptized into the body of Christ, not into the church. And he made it clear of my wishes. That's good. Of course, I had people come up after me uh, afterwards, and he he was patting on the back, going, welcome to the church. I'm going, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. The Lord is who makes all that right anyway, so we don't have to, that's good. I think that's, that's important for us to see, you know, it, um, how the Lord works and even can deliver his people in the midst of crazy. I mean, that's where all of us have come from ultimately, so I think it's a good, a good uh, testimony for us. Um, interestingly enough, the opposite side of that is uh, another early heresy, and it's definitely still around today, and it's one called antinomianism. Uh, which is just a real fancy word for uh, anti-law. And so this is the idea. It's taken, um, taken in by a group called the Gnostics, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And basically this idea is if the body is nothing and if the world is nothing that we live in and, and grace is everything, then let us live however we want. And so the, the basic idea behind antinomianism uh, was that we can just live however we want. We toss out holiness. We toss out any need for uh, needing to, to, to obey, like we talked about in the sermon today, and uh, we can just do whatever we'd like to do. This is followed by a lot of Greek philosophy, particularly uh, Epicureanism, and so the Christians kind of mix together with these other groups, and they lived hedonistic lives. Um, and their calling was, well, we're just living under grace. Not under the law, we're just dependent on the grace of Christ to save us, and we're going to do what we want. This is, should be familiar to you all, hopefully. You've, and we all definitely delve into that from time to time ourselves, but not as a pattern, hopefully. Uh, if that's a pattern for you, I will be letting you know. Hopefully you'd let me know if that's a pattern for you as well, or for me. So, but how does this take the shape in the church today? What do people say under this heading? They wouldn't call themselves antinomian, but what, what do they say when they're, when they're living like this and not striving after holiness? We're not under law, man. We're under grace. Not under law. We're under grace. They'll, quote, they'll even quote scripture that says that. They can't quote any of the context, but they'll definitely quote, quote part of it. Um, this is particularly dangerous in Reformed churches. Um, I would say that the Reformed church struggles with this as much as or as more than other churches that have grabbed a hold of this idea of Christian liberty 
I think that the, uh, the Reformed Church prides itself on the fact that we're free in Christ and we, we, don't, we don't concern ourselves with earning our salvation by not doing certain things, not dancing or uh, drinking or whatever else. And so they hold themselves according to this idea of Christian liberty. That's fine. Yes, we are free in Christ, but we are not free to act as we want. We are free to act as we ought. And so, they, I mean, I've been, a group of, been around a group of people who called me legalist because I was choosing not to do certain things. But I thought I was, I was like, I thought I was free to do as I you know, wanted to do, according to their own mantra. But I wasn't. I should have been partaking in all the crazy stuff that they're partaking in. And so this takes, I mean, this shows itself through crazy living, but it also shows itself through the people who, uh, you know, went up to the altar when they were six and haven't darkened the door of the church since then. It's just as antinomian. Um, they're refusing to be a part of the body, and they're relying on that one-time profession of faith that was just a profession, but not of any sort of faith. Um, and so, any questions or questions about that, concerns, um, definitely something we see, um, and it tends to be more apparent in the church than the other side, but I, th- I think the other side is actually more dangerous, uh, the, the Judaizing legalistic side is more dangerous for the church, because when someone's apparently doing that kind of sinful behavior, we can go after them, but people can uh, blow the doors of hell wide open as a legalist, and we never know. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think I saw it a little bit differently uh, in the Church of Christ. Uh, they, Galatians, we performed it when we did study through Galatians, I was in class. And they really kind of used that to disregard the Old Testament. Yeah. statement to say that the Ten Commandments are not in the New Testament? That's a really bold version, but a less bold version would be of that heresy to just the cultural aspect we have. So, yep. so I mean, Oprah Winfrey's a Christian, uh, every actor that ever won a more than a Christian, every athlete, we, we, even in the church they start to idolize these people who say, oh, my, you know, God loves with this, or I thank God for my talents, or whatever. And in the church, there's a there's a quick adoption of, oh man, you know, I think that actor Mike Chippen's a really good uh, Christian man. You don't know anything about him. He gave lip service to God, but the antinomianism is what he's living by. Right. That there is no God who made any rules. If there is, then Jesus saved me, and it's all good. But I'm going to live as if God never gave any laws at all. Right. We dealt with that Wednesday in our Bible study where there was a comment that said, well, I don't believe in making rules. I mean, those man-made rules, now if the rules reflect God's Word, then they're good rules. They're good rules. You're not saved by the rules, but when I give my kids a commandment to follow, it's for their good. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
certificate where it proves a lot. Good. And you know, I've learned so much, you know, just looking at the children's catechism, uh, and going through that with kids, and you know, looking at the Ten Commandments afresh, and seeing how important they are to my life, not to my salvation or you know, time of my justification into this relationship with God he did for me. But as I live out my life, I mean, what more, <laughs> what more do you ask for? <laughs> You've got all these things that tell us how we are to treat God and respect God and live for God. And then all these other things are how we deal with our neighbor or those around us in the community. Jesus' two statements, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, similar, right? They both have to do with not abiding in Christ, because on one hand we're not trusting in Christ, we're not trusting in the grace of Christ, and the other thing, in the other hand, we're we're not we're not trusting in His law because we, we don't think His law is good, so we're just not going to behave. We're not going to do what we should do, and so they are one and the same. They are both perversions of the gospel, um, and I think that's important. The show me a legalist, and I'll show you someone who could very easily be an antinomian the very next day. I mean, I, I swung that way in college. I went from being a part of this, you know, this legalistic group that really wanted to earn their salvation to being the exact opposite literally in, in a night because both were wrong for the same reason. I was not trusting in the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ alone saves and that he's called me to live like him. And so I think that's important for us to understand. And it's important for us to see that in the church today, too. Just as the early church 
swung the pendulum so so far and so vast in both ways that the church today is doing the same thing. Uh, it's, that's important for us, and that's the same sin. The the church that re- has all these requirements for salvation is really in the same s- sinfulness as the church that has no requirements for Christian living on the other side, and has a, you know has 120 in the seats on Sunday, but has a membership of a thousand. You know, that's the same sin to me. I mean, you can live that way and read the same Bible. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's a all sin. I mean, you go back to the garden. What is sin? Sin is a perversion of God's word. Originally, Eve thought, "Well, that that fruit's actually not all that bad." Even though, what did God say? Do not eat that. And so, anytime we sin, we are basically looking at the fruit and saying, you know what? It's really not all that bad. It's not, I mean, you know, and the little things that we do, you know, we act in anger. Well, you know, they deserve that for me to be angry at them. They were really acting badly. Even though the, the Lord says, no, don't act out in your anger. Don't, I mean, anger is the same as murder. Well, well, they were being mean to me. You know, they deserve that. And so when we do that, something that I would think is a little bitty, you know, uh, no, it's not. It's, it's it's a sin that we deserve death for, um, but we don't get death because of what Jesus did. And so, on the same side, it's not a righteous act then that we can earn life with. You know, by doing the opposite of that, we're by being super nice and overcoming our anger and giving life to people. We are not then earning life ourselves. No, because Jesus already gave that to us. Um, and I think that's. It's real. I mean, again, we're going to waffle between those two things for the rest of our lives, I think. We're, no one lives there in the center all the time. And so, the, you know, I, I just read a book called The Whole Christ, and it's, it's that idea that he is both our propitiation for sin, he's our offering for sin, but he's also our righteousness. We, don't, uh, we need him in both ends. We, we need him as a forgiveness, and we also need him to hold us up in holiness. And so... It's an important concept, and to act out on both is heresy. You know, for a church to require you to act good in order to for them to recognize you as saved is heresy, and for a church to say, you know what, we don't need the Old Testament, we don't need any of the moral law, we just need Jesus. Well, Jesus fulfilled the law; He came to do that. He did it. He thought it was good, and so we should too. So, any thoughts? It's a good discussion. Um, I mean, you hear that all. We hear it all the time. Uh, I hope you hear it. And, you know, in the preaching and the sermons that you hear that we're not saved by either. But again, how does it, how do we live it out? I think it's important for us to see that, um, and it's important for us to be able to help others who are dealing with that. Like Andy was talking about, we need to be that friend who says, "Hey, you're not. You can't earn your way to salvation." You know, and be okay with that. If we're not judging someone when we go to them and tell them that. You know, if, if they're a good friend of yours anyway. Don't go to a stranger and tell them that. But once you've earned that ability to be able to speak to someone, go to them and tell them. You know, I had that's what happened to me. I had friends come to me and tell me that I was being a jerk to them um, because I would just straight up tell them I didn't think they were Christians. And really they were a lot better off and loving the Lord more than I was um, at the time.
few more heresies to talk about. I think this is a good place for us to close, though. So we'll just have heresies part two next Sunday. Um, well, actually, no. Next Sunday we're going to leave right after church for Sunday school. So we'll have heresies part two in a, in a few weeks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for the truth. Help us to uphold it. We all believe heresy from time to time. We all would stray away and see the fruit and say, that looks good, even though you've called it bad. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, not only in the lives of others, as we see more plainly oftentimes, but in our own lives, help us to snuff out the false things and live only for the truth, be upheld by it, and hold it up ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time that we have together with food and fellowship, bless it to our bodies, bless our conversations as we talk about you, and uh, we do it all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.